Welcome to Northwest Passages, the program that features books or authors with a connection to the Pacific Northwest. I'm your host, Douglas Furr, and this month we'll be featuring passages from The Boys on the Boat, a story about the University of Washington rowing team who, against all odds, wins the 1936 Olympic gold. The story has a special connection to Squim, as the main character of the story, Joe Rance, spent much of his childhood right here in Squim. And when you're driving into town, you can see the road sign calling out the two Olympic champions from Sunny Squim. Joe Rance is one of them. In this passage, we'll hear the author Daniel James Brown's description of what it was like in a sleeping little farming town on the Olympic Peninsula back in the 1920s. Squim sat on a wide expanse of prairie between the snow-capped Olympic mountains to the south and the broad blue Strait of Juan de Fuca to the north. Vancouver Island was just visible on the horizon. Nestled in the lee of the mountains, sheltered from the storms that rotated in off the Pacific from the southwest, the area was far less rainy than most of western Washington, and the skies were blue more often than gray. The weather was so dry, in fact, that early settlers had found cacti growing in places. It was the kind of town where people got together on weekends to build a new church, to hold Sunday afternoon ice cream socials, or to kick up their heels at Saturday night square dances. In Squim, your butcher might also be the volunteer firefighter who saved your house or barn, as well as the neighbor who helped you rebuild it. It was a place where native women from the nearby Jamestown Sklalem tribe might share recipes with a Protestant minister's wife over a cup of coffee at Dreich's Cafe, where old man sat in front of the post office on Saturday afternoon, spitting brown arcs of tobacco juice into strategically arranged spittoons, where boys could sell melons purloined from local vegetable patches to Honolulu Pete at his fruit truck parked on Seal Street where children could wander into Lehman's Meat Market and be given a free hot dog in a bun just because they looked hungry, or where they might stop by Brayton Drugstore and be handed a piece of candy just because they said please. The farmhouse that Harry set about building amid the tree stumps outside of town became a work perpetually in progress. With Joe's help, he dug a ditch to divert water, illegally, from an irrigation canal flowing out of the nearby Dungeness River. He rigged up a sawmill powered by the water he had diverted. He felled the few crooked trees left behind by the lumber company that had recently logged off the property, and then milled enough rough-cut lumber to frame the two-story house and apply cedar siding to part of it. He and Joe collected smooth river rocks from the Dungeness and laboriously erected an enormous stone fireplace. The house was still only half completed when he decided to sell the car repair shop and move his family out to the stump farm. Over the next few years, Harry and Joe kept pounding nails when they had the time. They built a wide front porch and a woodshed, a ramshackle hen house that soon became home to more than 400 chickens, and a rickety milking barn for half a dozen dairy cows that grazed among the stumps. Harry rigged a flywheel and generator to the water wheel that powered his sawmill, ran electrical wire into the house, and dangled light bulbs from the rafters. As the supply of water from the irrigation ditch waxed and waned, the lights flickered on and off and glowed with varying degrees of intensity. But he never quite got around to finishing the house. To Joe, the condition of the house made little difference. 
Once again, he had the semblance of a home and a new world to explore. Behind the house, there was a meadow of nearly an acre, carpeted in summer with sweet wild strawberries. During the spring, water flowed over his father's water wheel with such force that it excavated a pool nearly 10 feet deep and 25 feet long. Soon, salmon and steelhead and trout from the Dungeness made their way up the irrigation ditch and gathered in schools in the pond. Joe rigged up a net on a long pole, and whenever he wanted fish for dinner, he simply took the net out behind the house, picked out a fish, and hauled it in. The woods just behind the property were full of bears and cougars. That troubled Thula and made her understandably nervous about her flock of small children, but Joe thrilled at night when he heard the bears splashing as they fished in the pond or the cougars screeching as they met their mates in the dark. Joe was a good and popular student. His classmates found him outgoing, freewheeling, handy with a joke, and fun to be around. A few who got to know him better found that he could suddenly and unexpectedly turn somber. Never nasty or hostile, but guarded, as if there was a part of him he didn't want you to touch. He was a particular favorite of Miss Flatibo, the music teacher. Through barter and the generosity of a few friends, he soon owned a ragged collection of old stringed instruments, a mandolin, several guitars, an old ukulele, and two banjos. Sitting on the front porch every day after school, working at it again at night when his schoolwork was finished, he patiently and painstakingly taught himself to play each instrument proficiently. He took to carrying one of the guitars onto the school bus every day. He sat in the back, playing and singing the songs he loved. Boisterous tunes from vaudeville acts he had heard on the radio, long comical ballads, and sad lilting cowboy songs. Entertaining the other students, drawing groups of them toward the rear of the bus to listen and sing along with him. It wasn't long before he found that he had one particular devotee, a pretty slip of a girl named Joyce Simdars, with blonde curls, a button nose, and a fetching smile, who more and more often sat next to him, singing along in perfect two-part harmony. To Joe, Squim was shaping up to be near paradise. For Thula, though, it was yet another disappointment, not much of an improvement over Boulder City, her parents' basement, or the apartment over the tire shop. Stuck in a half-finished house surrounded by rotting stumps and wild animals of all sorts, she felt as far removed as ever from the sophisticated life that she envisioned for herself. Everything about farm life appalled her. The daily milking of cows, the ever-present stench of manure, the relentless collecting of eggs, the daily cleaning of the cream separator, the always flickering light fixtures hung from the rafters, she despised the endless chopping of kindling to feed the wood stove, the early mornings and the late nights, and she was particularly irritated by Joe and his teenage friends and their makeshift bands out on the wide front porch making a racket day and night. That passage was from Boys on the Boat by Daniel James Brown. Actor George Clooney is reportedly working on a movie adaptation of the book, which would be really interesting. If you want more information about that book, you can visit the author's website, www.danieljamesbrown.com. And if you have suggestions on future books to be featured on Northwest Passages, especially by local authors, please contact us at the station. Until next time, this is Douglas Fur, and thanks to Connie Fur for her reading. 
Northwest Passages is a KSQM Studios production.